I'm so grateful you're here. Welcome to the Today I Am Enough podcast season three. This season, we are taking time to better understand who the women in the New Testament are and their experiences. We will learn more of them, their story, and how Jesus Christ tutored their lives. We will learn more about how much Jesus Christ loves women. For the first 90 days of the season, you can also listen to a second weekly episode. We will be discussing the Book of Mormon. If you aren't aware of the Book of Mormon study group, check out the show notes or my website todayiamenough.com and you can sign up and join. We are reading the Book of Mormon from January 1st to March 31st. Each week, I will share my thoughts on the weekly reading and what I take away from it. Hello, welcome. If you have been waiting for this episode this week, it's late. But here we are. I Finally, I'm recording in my car today, so hopefully it all sounds all right. We are discussing Alma 52 through Helaman 8 this week, and there is a lot that happens in these chapters, and so hopefully we can break it down into just a few things, but a lot is going on at the end of Alma and even the beginning of Helaman. So we're going to start off in Alma 53, verse 16. So there's Lamanite prisoners that are um, fortifying the city Bountiful, and they are preparing for war, it says in verse 7. And so they're doing all these things to prepare for war. And verse, let's actually start in 13. It says, and it came to pass that when they saw the danger and the many afflictions and tribulations which the Nephites bore for them, meaning the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they were moved with compassion and were desirous to take up arms in the defense of their country. But behold, as they were about to take up weapons of war, they were overpowered by the persuasion of Helaman and his brethren, for they were about to break an oath which they had made. So there was so much heartache, I think, coming from the anti-Nephi-Lehi's as they watched people defend their lives for them because of this oath that they had made. And verse 16 says, But behold, it came to pass that they had many sons who had not entered into the covenant that they would not take up their weapons of war to defend themselves against their enemies. Therefore, they did assemble themselves together at this time as they were able to make up ar- take up arms and they called themselves Nephites. And they entered into a covenant to fight for the liberty of the Nephites, yea, to protect the land upon the laying down of their lives. Yea, even they covenanted that they would never give up their liberty, that they would fight in all the case to protect the Nephites and themselves from bondage. And now behold, there were 2,000 of these young men who entered into the covenant and took their weapons of war to defend their country. Uh, And then it goes on in, there's a description of the young men in verses 20. And it says they were all exceedingly young and they were exceedingly valiant and courageous and strength and activity. But behold, there was not, this was not all. They were men who were true at all times in whatsoever thing they had entrusted. Yea, they were men of truth and soberness, and they had been taught to keep the commandments of God and to walk uprightly before him. And now it came to pass that Helaman did march at the head of the 2,000 stripling warriors 
soldiers for the support of the people in the borders of the land of the south and to the west. So Helaman leads this army of 2,000 young men, and it says stripling soldiers. So in I looked up the word stripling in the 1850 Webster Dictionary, and it defines it as a youth in the state of adolescence or just passing from boyhood to manhood, a lad. These are going to be, these are not always what is pictured. <laughs> a lot of that like famous church picture that we have of like these really like buff young men walking around. These are boys who are passing from boyhood to manhood, which means they're going through puberty. So these are going to be like some deacons, maybe some mostly teachers in your ward, I think, and then some priests even. These young men were young men. They probably weren't like extremely strong like we see like Arnold Schwarzenegger type strong that we see in those pictures sometimes. They were lads, it says in the dictionary. These are these are young men, and they are they are all of their own choice taking up and going to war to protect their families, their parents who can't, which is incredibly beautiful that they would be willing to do that. All right. In verses in chapters um 56 through 58, we talk, there's an epistle that is written to Moroni from Helaman while Helaman's out at war. And so 56 through 58 is a lot of the happenings in the wars of the stripling warriors. So we're just going to read a few of these verses and just kind of talk about a few of them. So in 56, 17, it says, and now they were determined to conquer this place or die. Therefore, you may well suppose that this little force, would, which I brought from me, which I brought with me, yea, those sons of mine gave them great hope and much joy. And in 19 at the end, it says, but thus we were preserved. This happens over and over for these young men. They were preserved. And then in 44 and through 48, it says, therefore, what say ye, my sons, will you go against them to battle? And now I say unto you, my beloved brethren, Moroni, that never had I seen so great courage, nay, not anyone amongst all the Nephites. For as I, I had ever called them my sons, for they were all them very young. Even so, they said unto me, Father, behold, our God is with us and will not suffer that we should fall. Then let us go forth that we would not slay our brethren if they would let us alone. Therefore, let us go, lest they should overpower the army of Antipas. And they never had fought yet. They did not fear death, and they did not think upon the liberty of their fathers. Then they did upon their own lives. Yea, they had been taught by their mothers that if they did not doubt, God would deliver them. And they rehearsed unto me the words of their mother, saying, We do not doubt our mothers knew it. This, of course, is the famous section of scripture about the stripling warriors. But in these verses before 47 and 48, we get a glimpse. Hailman's giving Moroni a glimpse of who these young men are that they had never seen, he'd never seen so great courage among all of the Nephites. 
they knew that they wouldn't fall. They just had this faith that they were going to succeed and that they would not be overpowered. And their mothers taught them that they could trust God. And if you think about these people who are not going to take up arms because they made this covenant with God, that they would live the gospel and that none of them ever did doubt, then we know who these people are that raised these boys. And they really were believers. They had a knowledge, a deep knowledge, a deep testimony of the gospel. And I'm sure they weren't perfect in teaching the gospel to their children. And so I think we need to make sure we're being kind to ourselves in that manner. And just look at the good that you are offering because you are offering good to your children, just like these mothers were offering good to theirs. In verse 54, um, and it came to pass that the people of Nephi and the people of Antipas and I with my 2000 did surround the Lamanites and did slay them. Yea, insomuch they were compelled to deliver up their weapons of war and also themselves as prisoners of war. And now it came to pass that when they had surrendered themselves unto us, behold, I numbered those young men who had fought with me. Fearless, fearless list, there were many of them slain. But behold, to my great joy, there had not been one soul of them that had fallen to the earth. Yea, and they had fought as if this with the strength of God. Yea, never were men known to have fought with such great miraculous strength. And with such mighty power did they fall up upon the Lamanites, and they did frighten them. And for the, this cause did the Lamanites deliver themselves up as prisoners of war. I love that it says never was men known to have fought with strict strength and miraculous strength. Um, I think that's just telling that the Lord really was with these boys and that they were able to fight because they had the Lord on their side. We got a new year of the reign of the judges. We're year 28. At the end of the 29th year, they received a supply of provisions and also an addition to the army from the land of Zarahemla and from the land roundabout to the number of 6,000 men, besides 60 of the sons of the Ammonites who had come to join their brethren, my little band of 2,000. So they send men, right? They, there are other men too. They sent 2,000 earlier. and But there's this group of boys and it's the 2,000 stripling warriors, obviously. But then in chapter Alma 57, Six, we find out that with this group of 2,000 men, there was also a group of 60 young men that came. And Helaman says, And now behold, we were strong. Yea, we had also plenty of provisions brought unto us. So 60 people, it doesn't seem like a lot in comparison to the 2,000, but these 60 extra young men, Helaman's like, Now we are strong because we have 2,060. And we have, we have our full army. It was almost like he knew it was complete. I don't know that he knew it was incomplete before that, but I love that he says, now we are strong. Every one of us matters. We all have a part to play and we all can contribute. All right. In 5720, and as the remainder of the army were about to give way before the Lamanites, behold, those 2060 were firm and undaunted. Yea, and they did obey and observe to perform every word and command with exactness. Yea, and even according to their faith, it was done unto them. And did and I did remember 
the words which they said unto me that their mothers had taught them. They were firm and undaunted. I love that. I think that's beautiful. And they did obey and observe to perform every word with exactness. It made me think of the prophets and apostles. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to stand firm and undaunted with their words? Are we willing to obey and observe and try our best to keep with his, keep those words with exactness? It's just something that we can think about in our lives and, and how we're doing with it. Verse 25 says, And it came to pass that there were 2,000 out of the two, there were 200 out of my 2,060 who had fainted because of the loss of blood. Nevertheless, according to the goodness of God and to our great astonishment and also the joy of the whole army, there was not one soul of them who did perish. Yea, and neither was there one soul among them who had not received many wounds. So we have 200 that fainted because they lost a lot of blood, but 2,060 of them were injured and many wounds. So it's important to remember that these 2,060 stripling warriors, none of them ever die, but they every single one of them was wounded. It This wasn't a battle of just miraculous strength and never having consequence of war. Because they did have that. So I think I think that's important to remember also is that they they did have some hardship in this beautiful story that we seem to tell all the time. They did go to war. I'm sure they witnessed things that were incredibly hard to live with. In Alma 58, 11 and 12, it says, Yea, and it came to pass that the Lord our God did visit us with the assurance that he would deliver us, yea, insomuch that he did speak peace to our souls and to grant unto us great faith and to cause us that we should hope for our deliverance in him. And we did take courage with our small force, which he had received, and were fixed with a determination to conquer our enemies and to maintain our lands and our possessions and our wives and our children and the cause of our liberty. I, I don't know. I just love that it explains further what these young men were like and how they did. And they they knew that they would be able to be delivered and that they could have hope and that they would be delivered. And they had courage, which I think is obvious. Like, it's obvious they had courage, but I think it's really an important trait to have is to have courage. And in, in verse 33 of that same chapter, it says, Behold, we did trust in God who had given us victory over the over the lands in so much that we have detained these cities in those lands. And verse 37, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And he says, but behold, it mattereth not. We trust God will deliver us, notwithstanding the weakness of our armies, yea, and deliver us out of the hands of the enemies. I think it's really important that we get to a place where we can say it mattereth not and that we trust God. Do you trust God that he's going to take care of you in your life and that when things seem uncertain or rocky or really fuzzy that you can just say it doesn't actually matter because I trust God in his plan for me and for my family. I think that's an important place to try and get to. So in chapter 59, this is when Moroni sends an epistle to Pahoran and Pahoran is over the... I guess it's technically in 60. In 59, he talks about how he's going to 
Pahoran is over the judgment seat, and he's supposed to be sending provisions and help to Moroni in their fight to try and overtake the Lamanites. And he's kind of getting annoyed, it feels like. He's just like, what is happening? Like, what has Pahoran like turned against God? What's happening? So he writes this epistle, and he kind of just tells Pahoran how it is. He explains that the government has neglected their armies, and that the righteous, like they're trying to do their best, but they are, it says in verse nine, but we are about to perish with hunger because of your exceedingly great neglect towards them. And so he's just, he's just like, are you just going to let us die? Like, I, I don't know. And so Pahoran writes Moroni back in chapter 61 and explains that the gut the so he's the chief governor and Pahoran is like so sad to hear this from Moroni. And basically what's happened it was there was the king men and the free men, and the king men ended up kind of taking over things. And it says in 61 verse 4, they had withheld our provisions and have daunted our freedom, that they have not come unto us, and I have fled to the land of Gideon. So Come to find out, Pahoran has had to like flee and they can't get any provisions because there were the people that wanted a king and they kind of took over and started ruling. And and so it's just like this, you know, like Pahoran's just telling him this story. And in verse 13, it says, um, but that we should put our trust in him and he will deliver. And so he invites Moroni to come and help. And so Moroni marches to the aid of Pahoran in the land of Gideon. He like goes out there and they're able to restore Pahoran's seat in the judgment seat and have him rule over. And then they're able to get the provisions that they need in order to take, um, go take care of Moroni's people. And so that is what happens at the end of, of Alma. There's a lot going on. So the book of Helaman is Helaman's son. That is who the book of Helaman is. So the very first verse we find, our second verse technically, Pahoran dies. This is where we learn about Kishkumen. And these, a lot of these chapters are about how the Nephites were righteous. And then they start to convert the Lamanites. And then it flips. This is kind of where a lot of the flip-flopping of who is good and who is bad <laughs> happens. So right now the Nevites are extremely righteous. They're prospering. And by Helaman 4, the Nephites are now weak like the Lamanites is what the scripture says when, like, when they're fighting. And they repent for a while and they cycle back and it just really goes up and down. So Helaman, the son of Helaman, gets old. He gives up the land and everything over his land to his sons, Nephi and Lehi, who he named after Nephi and Lehi from the first section of the Book of Mormon, the first chapters of the Book of Mormon. So we are going to skip to Helaman 5. We're going to read a few in here. So Nephi and Lehi are basically like the last righteous Nephites that are here. And so they become missionaries to try and help bring everyone kind of like back to remembrance. 
And Helaman 5, 6 and 7 says, Behold, my sons, I desire that you should remember to keep the commandments of God, and I would that you should declare unto my people these words. Behold, I have given unto you the names of our first parents who came out of the land of Jerusalem. And this I have done, that when you remember your name, ye remember them. And when you remember them, you may remember their works. And when you remember their works, you may know that it is said and also written that they were good. It just made me think of family history and the importance of knowing your name and knowing your family so you can know some of the good. There's not there's not always good. You know, Laman and Lemuel were not great family history people to be examples like, but there there's going to be some good. And if we can find out about their lives, I think it can give us power in our lives to move forward knowing that we have that. And then verse nine they remember the things, some of the things that their father had said. And it says, and oh, remember, remember my sons, the words which King Benjamin had spoken to his people. You remember that there is no other way, no, nor means whereby men can be saved only through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, who shall come. You remember that he cometh to redeem the world. And remember also the words which Amulek spake in Nazizram, in the city of Ammonihah, for he said unto him, the Lord surely should come to redeem his people, but that he should not come to redeem them in the sins, but to redeem them from their sins. Okay, verse 12 says, And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation. And when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall he beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock of which you are built, which is sure foundation, a foundation whereon men build, they cannot fall. So when your rock is Jesus Christ, Satan cannot have power over you. That is what that scripture is telling us. And when we are one with Jesus Christ, Satan can tempt us and we can fall into that temptation. But because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, it has no power over us because we can always repent and come back. So Nephi and Lehi become these incredible missionaries and they get rejected. And in verse 23, it says, and it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi were encircled about as if by fire. So they had been teaching and they proceeded, oh, so in verse 20, it goes back and says, they went to the land of Nephi and it came to pass that they were taken by an army of the Lamanites to cast into prison. Yea, even in the same prison in which Ammon and his brethren sir, went when they, the servants of Limhi were there. And after they had been cast into prison many days without food, behold, they went forth into the prison to take them and that they might slay them. So they're about to come kill them in prison and they are encircled with fire that no one uh, no one wanted to touch them because they were worried that they would get burned and but Nephi and Lehi were not being burned they were standing in the middle of this fire and they were not being burned and they say in 24 and when they saw that they were encircled about with a pillar of fire and that it burned them not their hearts did take courage i love that they they were like oh we this is god on our side we've got this and it came to pass that Nephi and Lehi did stand forth and began to speak unto them, saying, Fear not, for behold, it is God that has shown unto you this marvelous thing, 
in the which it is shown unto you that you cannot lay your hands on us. So they do this. There comes a voice above the cloud of darkness. Repent ye, repent ye, seek no more to destroy my servants, whom I sent unto you to declare my tidings. It was a quiet voice, a still voice of perfect mildness. It had been in a whisper, like, it could, but it could pierce every soul. And then again in 32, the voice comes again, repent ye, repent ye. And then a third time it came also. And so all of a sudden people are seeing this fire and that these guys aren't getting burned, but the other people could be getting burned. And then a voice from heaven is coming down telling them to repent. And those that repent end up being encircled in the fire with Nephi and Lehi. And so there were 300 souls who saw and heard many things that that came. So there were about 300 souls who saw and heard these things, and they were hidden to go forth and marvel not, neither should they doubt. So there's there's a lot going on here, but they were able to bring these people and help them. They were able to be the facilitator to help them to repent. So they have these people that have repented 300 years go by. And in this time, in chapter six, it talks about how the Nephites and Lehites, Lamanites, sorry, the Nephites and Lamanites were working side by side and they were working together and just like doing all the things. They were living with each, like living peacefully together and everything. And by verse 16, and in the commencement of the 60 and 7th year, which is three years later, the people began to grow exceedingly wicked again. So the Gadianton robbers are starting to make way. They're starting to come and try and get people. And in 21, it says, Satan did stir up the hearts of the more part of the Nephites insomuch that they did unite with their bands of robbers and did enter into their covenants with the oath that they would protect and preserve one another in whatsoever difficult circumstances they did, they would be placed in. So then in 27 and 28 and 29, it talks about how Cain was also tempted by Satan. And that same being puts the, puts others hearts into wickedness and that Gadianton's heart was also tempted by Satan as well. So we know that this is the work of Satan, these Gadianton robbers. In 34, it says, and thus we see that the Nephites did begin to dwindle in unbelief and grow in wickedness and abominations, while the Lamanites began to grow exceedingly in the knowledge of their God. Yea, and they did begin to keep the status and commandments, statutes and commandments, and to walk in truth and righteousness before him. And thus we see that the spirit of the Lord began to withdraw from the Nephites because of the wickedness of the hardness of their hearts. And thus we see that the Lord began to pour out his spirit upon the Lamanites because of easiness and the willingness to believe his words. I think the word that's really important here is dwindle. Dwindle means slowly. They slowly began to unbelieve. And I think sometimes we don't even realize when we're dwindling, but it's those small and simple those Sunday school answers, those saying your prayers and reading your scriptures and going to the temple and making an effort to know Jesus Christ, 
that if we're not doing those small and simple things, we can begin to dwindle and we won't even recognize it and until we're no longer a part of it. I think we have to be really, really aware of what's going on in our lives and and checking ourselves to make sure that we're in a good spot. All right. So chapters seven through 16 of Helaman are going to uh, like Samuel the Lamanite is going to be part of this and it like a lot's going to be going on here. Yeah. I think it's Nephi is talking and he just says, oh, if I could have the days of the days of my father, Nephi. And he talks about how easy it was when they first came out and they like they didn't have all these troubles and all these problems. It's important to remember that Nephi went through a lot of really hard things, the older Nephi. And I think it's easy for us to say, oh, look at how easy that was. Look at that grass. It's so much greener on the other side. But in reality, when you get closer, there's a lot more yellow and brown spots. And I think they just had different hearts. That's how all of us are in life. We are just given different hearts. And we cannot compare our lives or wish for someone else's life because it's not necessarily as easy as we think it is. Each of us are given different trials and different things that are hard for us. And I think that's why sometimes we're like, oh, that would be so easy, but it's so easy for you. There's different things that would be easy for someone else that are really difficult for you. And so I think that just reminded me, we just need to keep perspective and remember that Nephi's life was really, really difficult. He had to leave his home and he had brothers to try to kill him constantly. And he had to leave his family. Like he had to leave his brothers because it was so bad for that everyone's doing the best they can and the grass is not always greener. So in chapter eight, I this I just made the note of the importance of prophets who are led by God. Verse 15 says, and as many as should look unto the serpent should live, even as many as should look unto the son of God with faith, having con- a contrite spirit might live even unto the life which is eternal. And he's just testifying of the prophets. And then in verses 19 through 20, he talks about Zenus and Zenic and Isaiah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and how their testimonies are so helpful for them as they remember God. And he says in verse 23, and behold, he is God and he is with them and he did manifest himself unto them. Then they were redeemed by him and they gave unto him glory because of that which is to come. So I think it's we just need to remember the importance of the prophets and apostles in our lives and that they are led by God. We need to do our best in our lives and glorify God in all that we're doing. I hope that you enjoyed this week and this next week starting tomorrow. We're reading Helaman 9 through 3 Nephi 11. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next week.